0: Um, I would love for you to stand up. If you want, if you can, if you choose to, you don't have to. Lord, we ask that uh, you would just be blessed by our worship. We ask that you would draw our hearts toward you and prepare our hearts and our minds, our beings, to receive your word, to receive what you have for us this morning? Good morning, Jesus. We love you. Amen.
1: I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemy i raise a hallelujah Louder than from the ashes hope will arise death is defeated the king middle of the storm louder and louder you're gonna hear my praises roar up from the ashes hope will arise death is defeated the king is alive I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm louder and louder you're gonna hear my praises roar up from the ashes
0: think about what Jesus was going into as he went into the week or the the day of his crucifixion and how what was seen was looking like a death, a loss, right? And yet in that darkness, Jesus was doing something that was going to give victory, victory for all of us.
1: it may be formed but it won't prosper when the darkness falls it won't prevent cause the goddess of knows only how to triumph my God Sing that again. We're going to see a victory, for the battle belongs to you, Lord. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good.
0: you lord for what you've done for us lord jesus that you came that you came right here and today you still come right here to walk us through our battles to walk us into and through the darkness that we think will be the end but you take us on through it you take us through it to the other side Lord, thank you that you are with us. Thank you that your arm is right on our shoulder, that you've hemmed us in. Thank you, Lord, for defeating the enemy. Thank you, Lord, that we can walk in that, that you defeat the enemy. The enemy is out to kill and steal and destroy, but you have already beat him. Help us, Lord, to focus on that. Help us, Lord, to remember that. Help us, Lord, to live our lives as though that's true. And that you did that because you loved us so much. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat.
2: You can have a seat for the moment, although I'm going to make you get right back up. So go ahead and stand.
0: Church calisthenics.
2: I'm waiting. <laughs> I see you guys. There you go. Okay. Um, here's what I'd like you guys to do this morning. I would like you to go and find somebody you don't know, introduce yourself, and I want you to tell them, worthy is the lamb who was slain. I want us to, like, yes, you too, Andy. I want you to embed, you can start with me, I'm safe. Um, I want you guys to, I want us to embed this in our head. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. I didn't tell Shauna to do this song this morning, but I definitely talk about it in my message because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He connects things. So stand up, go greet somebody you don't know. Tell them worthy is the lamb who was slain. I'm going to do it too, so. Or even somebody you haven't seen in a while. That'll work too. Good morning, Cassie. Um, I'm dusty. Sorry, I don't know. It's, it's so hard to know, like, you know, with the whole, like. All right, folks, I love that we are greeting each other and getting to know each other. If I could have you find your way back to your seats. I'm going to try to unentangle my mask from my headset here. I didn't see you guys sneak in up there. Especially with the masks, you're like total ninjas. You're just like... Suddenly, you're there. I know. Just don't like, do like a flying kick off the balcony like at me. That's all I ask. Just No good would come of that. Just give them folks a moment to find their way back. I'm going oil the gears here. I apologize this morning if my voice is a little bit scratchy. I think I have allergies or something going on because I'm, there's stuff. I don't know about the rest of you, but like I got home yesterday. I was doing a little wedding here yesterday for a couple and um, like I left in the morning and I noticed just a few little blossoms on our plum tree outside of our house. And then when I got home in the afternoon, it was like full of plum blossoms. I'm like, What happened? (laughs) Like, did I miss a day? (laughs) Was there some weird Doctor Who thing going on? I was in the TARDIS and then suddenly went, you know, forward. Like, what was going on? Um, Like, I just, what happened? But spring's here. And I love how spring and the resurrection celebration fall around the same time. Um, I was praying for all of you this morning. I was praying for service this morning. God really had me—I don't know—pressing in. I like—I woke up early, which is not unusual, um, but I was up at about five o'clock or so, and like I laid in bed for about a half hour, just praying. Um, and I felt like a little—a little heaviness. I don't now; I did then. Um, and I was really just interceding for all of you. I was interceding for the church. I was—and by church, I mean capital C church, all of us who follow Jesus, and just some of the challenges that we face in in society and in our world and and in our own hearts, Um, and the struggles that are there. And as I was praying, I was telling the worship team this morning, I got this, this deep, deep sense of God's love for us, how incredibly deep Jesus loves us. Like, that there's just no, there's nothing Jesus would not do for us. I mean, he proved that on the cross that we're going to be talking about today, right? So there was a little bit of a correlation there. But as I was praying about it, I was thinking about me and my son Cormac. And there is literally nothing I wouldn't do for him. Like, if he needed surgery, I would sell my house and everything I own to keep him alive. If there was a bullet coming at him, I would step in front of it. If there was anything that he, like, I could do for him, my, my, my love and my commitment to him is so deep that there is just, like I can't think of anything that I wouldn't do for him. And scripture tells us that God is a much better father than Dusty or you that God is a much better parent than any of us and loves us deeper and harder and stronger. And the things God will extent that he will go to for you is unfathomable. Like we can't even understand how deep God's love for us is, you guys. We were praying for somebody this last week and God gave me this picture. And a lot of times, for those of you who don't know me, I... Um, God often talks to me in pictures and he, he gave me this funny picture and I saw, a pic- I saw her picture in God's wallet that like, God's so proud of you. I was telling her, God's so proud of you. Like his, your picture's in his wallet and he shows it to anybody who will look. Like he'll stop them and say, hey, look, here's my daughter. And that's us, you guys. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. And I, just like I said, I, just, I felt it so, so strongly this morning. Uh, I just I wanted to open up with sharing that because I, I really felt like that was from the Holy Spirit. So this morning we're going to be going through the text. We've been going through the Gospel of John for the last three years. Uh, we're finishing it up this month. Uh, we're in John 19, verses 25 through 47. Um, I may go just a little bit longer today because there's a lot of text to cover, so buckle in. I just wanted to give you a fair warning. Uh, Starting off, as we do every week with this, Jesus is the way. He's the way for us to follow. It's not just enough for us to worship God, but we're called to emulate the lifestyle of Jesus, to be the people of the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is literally All truth. He is the primary revelation of God's character to our world. Jesus is the life. Through Jesus, he gives us life, both now and forevermore. I wrote this, and I was just thinking, like, as I was pondering God's goodness, over and over, I'm just reminded that God chooses us. In our sin and in our weakness, our greatest good, our best deeds are just a shadow of God's true love and goodness. Like we're a pale, the best we can do Mother Teresa was a pale imitation of God's love. Billy Graham was a pale imitation of God's love. Let's not forget the lengths that Jesus went through that we might once again be joined with him. He didn't have to make a way back for us. He didn't have to do it. It wasn't required of him. Except because of the nature of God, because of God's goodness, because of how much he loves us, because God is love, he couldn't do anything else. When we're talking about the character of God, the character of God drove him to the cross. There's nothing else he could do I believe God was just driven by his goodness to become human and to become frail and to bleed and die. His goodness wouldn't allow him to do anything less. He would cease to be who he was. Dusty would cease to be who I am if I didn't love my family the way I do. We're God's kids. We're God's family. He loves us. And on the cross, he showed us just how much. John 19, 25 through 27 starts off like this. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. His mother's sister, Mary, wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple who he loved, By the way, guess who's writing this? John. Hey, everybody, remember who Jesus loves? Me. So the disciple who he loved, standing nearby, sorry, it jumped out at me when I was reading it. I was like, oh, John. Standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, by the way, he's referencing the disciple who he loved. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. See, family doesn't always mean blood. It doesn't always mean blood. I have people who I am related to by blood, who I really very rarely interact with or even see. But I have people who I've met through my walk in Jesus and through the church, and who God has brought us together as family, as brothers and sisters, and mothers and fathers, and aunts and uncles in Jesus, who've become family. And that's beautiful, you guys. That's something worth fighting for. That's something to hold on to. At its best, church isn't a place that we go to, or an event that we attend, but rather as being family. That's us at our best. Are we always our best? No. Do we screw up? All the time. But is it a worthy goal to fight for and strive for and be family? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm sure all of us have had times in our lives where even people in our immediate family who we love the most, we don't like very well that day. I know there's days when my wife is like, can I trade Dusty in for another person? She's, she's nodding no, but I, I know there's days because I know me. And guys, that's us. That should be us too. We're the family of God. That's church at its best. And that's what Jesus was talking about here. He knew he was going to die. He knew he couldn't take care of his mother, so he was like, John, would you take care of my mom for me? Maybe he did like John best. He gave his mom <laughs> to him, right? It says something, that you trust your mom with somebody. John 19, 28 through 30 says this. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm hungry. Or I'm thirsty, excuse me. (laughs) I'm hungry. Jesus was thirsty. (laughs) He said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink... Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. As I was reading this, I was thinking, Jesus was fully God and fully man. And I think he had to choose to be done. When he was saying, it is finished, he knew all that God had sent him here on earth to do was complete and was done. And it was, it was good. And my prayer for all of us is that when we, someday, all of us, none of us are immortal, someday, at the end of our life, can we say it is finished? Will we have gone through our lives knowing that we did all that it is that God sent us here to do? That's my prayer. That's my prayer. That's my prayer for you, too. That all of us would constantly be listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. We'd be looking and keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. And at the end of our life, we can say, it's finished. I did my work. I did what it is God put into my hands to take care of and to do. Uh, other way. Okay. So biblical scholars, when they said they were talking about the vinegar and thirst, I was researching this a little bit. I'm like, wine vinegar, why, why is wine vinegar completing scripture? Like, why, why does Jesus drinking wine vinegar, why is that completing scripture? And so in Psalm 69, verse 21, it says this, They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. And I thought it was interesting that, like, Christ's first miracle, right, was at the wedding at Cana. They ran out of wine. And so they brought his mom, had them bring vessels of water to him, and he turned water into wine. And it says in Scripture that it was absolutely the best wine of the day. They're like, usually you serve the best wine first and you save the best wine for last, is what they talk about in the Scripture. It was interesting to me that Jesus' first miracle was to provide the best. And at the end, he's given the worst. And isn't that his life? Like, that, that humility of Jesus. Like, he gave all. He gave his absolute best. And his people put him on a cross. John nineteen thirty one through 32 says this. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. So there's a reason for this. According to Mosaic law, leaving a body hanging on a pole overnight would desecrate the whole land. And this would be unacceptable at any time, but especially during Sabbath, on Passover. This was like a high, holy day for them. If you remember the story, and I've referenced it before, this is when they put the sheep's blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would pass them over, thus being called Passover, back in Deuteronomy so what they would do is they would break their legs cuz they're up on a cross they would break their legs so their body couldn't their legs couldn't hold their body up to get air so they could do nothing but suffocate and die and they did this to both men but not to jesus but when they came to jesus they found he was already dead cuz remember he said it was finished and he gave up his spirit When they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead, so they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a flow of blood and water. The man who saw it, John speaking here, the man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies to you that you may believe. Let's talk about this for a minute. They pierced Jesus' side. So they wanted to make sure Jesus was dead. Probably. But maybe they were just being brutal. It was not uncommon for Roman soldiers to desecrate the dead. Something they would do. Blood and water came from the wound. The result of the spear piercing the pericardium practice that. I want you to know. <laughs> Pericardium. And this is the sac that surrounds the heart and the heart itself. All my doctor friends were gone today, or I would have probably had them correcting me. But uh, So I wanted to re- go on to this next verse, and then we're going to talk about this a little bit more. So in John nineteen thirty-six and 37, it said this, these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look upon the one that they have pierced. So not one of his bones would be broken. Why is that important? So it's worth taking note, I felt, that Jesus was the only one of the three men hanging there whose legs were not broken. And even though they drove a spear into his side, it didn't break a bone, which is fascinating. Like, because ribs are all pretty close together, right? And to get into the heart, you're going to have to go up in through a rib. And so they pierced his side, but no bones were broken. The not breaking of bones was important. Because in the Jewish tradition, the sacrificial lamb had to be pure and had to be unblemished. So I wanted to read that reference. It's back in Exodus. Exodus 12, 46 through 47 says this. God said to Moses and Aaron, These are the rules for the Passover. No foreigners are to eat it. Any slave, if he's paid for and circumcised, can eat it. No casual visitor or hired hand can eat it. Eat it in one house and do not take the meat outside the house. Don't break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel is to be included in this meal. And then this back in John. You remember when we started in John? We were talking about John the Baptist? John 1, The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Do you remember when he did that? When John the Baptist called out who Jesus was, how would John the Baptist know except through the moving of the Holy Spirit, except through the prophetic stirring in his heart of the Holy Spirit? And he called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world back when they were both young men. And then when Jesus died, he died as a lamb would have died, pure and unbroken, no bones broken, even though the women around him had their bones broken. Jesus was our lamb. Jesus took the place for us. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb for us. And the beauty of that, look the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Thank you, Jesus that you loved us that much. Continuing on in John 19, 38 through 39, talking about his burial. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. The man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 70 pounds of it. So Joseph of Arimathea, who was he? He was a rich disciple and, I found this fascinating, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Joseph of Arimathea was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was part of that Jewish religious ruling class. And yet he was one of the few who showed up to take care of Jesus. Luke 23, 51 references this. Joseph, who had not consented to their decision in action, he came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. See, they made this decision to persecute Jesus, but Joseph was not on board with it. He didn't vote for it as a member of the Sanhedrin he was like, yeah, no, I don't see you know, what you guys are doing to Jesus. This is wrong. I found this fascinating. In Mark 14, 50, it references this. Jesus' closest followers all ran away. John, Peter, Matthew, Mark, all, all these guys, right? They all ran off. They were scared because he was their rabbi. They followed him. They probably were worried about what was going to happen to them next. They all took off. And so it was left up to Joseph, and I'm going to be a little sarcastic, little Nicodemus, (laughs) because in the Bible stories, you always hear about how Nicodemus had to climb up a tree so he could see Jesus, right? (laughs) Uh, So it was left up to Joseph and Nicodemus to provide for his burial, because all of Jesus' people left him. They just left his body. It struck me how Jesus gave up everything. He didn't just give up his body. His relationships died in that moment. Like if I died, my hope would some of you would show up. (laughs) Like somebody would take care of me, right? That's my hope. And with Jesus, like his... The guys he lived in day in, day out. He walked with them. They saw him perform miracles. They bailed. If you've ever struggled with that, if you've ever felt like people have bailed on you, Jesus gets you. (laughs) Jesus understands. (laughs) Jesus knows what that's like. So with Pilate's permission, they took his body. Otherwise, people could just, like, take away their crucified friends before they died and revive them. Sometimes crucifixion didn't take. Um, There's this Roman scholar called Josephus, and he wrote this historical tome called the Book of Josephus. And he talked about crucifixion, and he talked quite a bit about Pilate. Um, And sometimes they would crucify people, and it didn't take. Like, they thought they were dead. Their bodies suffered so much punishment that they, like— went into a coma or had a stroke or passed out or whatever. And their friends would take their bodies and then they'd bring them back. And that, you know, that's not a good look if you're the governor and you're in charge of like pr- prosecuting people and the guy you thought you killed like shows up in town the next week. Um, so they had to have pilot's permission. I think the the spear thrust into his side was probably like made Pilate feel fairly comfortable that Jesus wasn't coming back. (laughs) Little did he know, right? (laughs) Anyway, that's for later. That's next week. Um, John 19, 38 through 39. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds worth. So this was the little Nicodemus who Jesus told him he needed to be born again. This was a large amount of herbs. Essential oils, for those of you who enjoy such things. Um, <laughs> team essential oil, I see you back there. Um, this was a lot of it. It was a large amount. This amount was only used in royal burials. And the cost likely came out of his own pocket. Remember, all his people scattered. Judas was dead. Judas was the guy who held on to the money. They are all gone. So he probably paid for this himself, they believe. Second Chronicles sixteen fourteen talks about how you bury someone who is royal, if you want to look that up for yourself. Um, John 19, 40 through 42, continuing on. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden was this new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they took Jesus there. So this new tomb in this garden, it's thought that this was likely Joseph of Arimathea's own tomb which he had made for when he died. And the reason they had to like get at this, the reason they had to make this fast was because it was near sunset and Sabbath was going to start. And since you couldn't do any work on the Sabbath, they needed to get Jesus buried. So they were on a time crunch. So Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they had to like quickly make this happen. This was something they had to get the spices, the spices, Wrap him, get him in the tomb, get this all prepared, because otherwise they would be doing work on the Sabbath, which was against Jewish law. In this account of Jesus, I was struck, as I was reading through this, by his humility. Humility is just not something that we talk a whole lot about in Christian circles. And yet, humility is one of the primary attributes Of Jesus, both from his own mouth and in the observations of his followers, humility of Jesus is very well documented in Scripture. Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul talking about the humility of Jesus. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, says this, "'Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And I add amen. Because of Jesus' humility, he was exalted. Jesus himself said, the last shall be first and the first shall be last in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to be a ransom for many. Over and over, Jesus embraced this humility. The very fact that he was God and chose to take on human form. His whole life was evidence of his humility. It seems that God the Father also seen in the life of Jesus, has a very high value for humility. And so as I was thinking about this, this then begs the question of us, why don't we? If it's so important to Father God and it's so important to Jesus, why don't we have a high value for humility? You don't have to look very far to see superstar Christian pastors, worship leaders, athletes, politicians, media stars, right? Lift me up. Look at me. Hey, look what I'm doing. Like, I can't feed somebody unless I'm also taking a selfie while I'm doing it. Right? We are to have in ourselves the mindset that was in Christ Jesus if we're truly to be his followers. Are you serving? are you living a life of humility? Are you putting others first? Are you living a life of service, both to God and to others? See, Jesus didn't see himself as worthless or without value. That's ridiculous, right? Like if he was without value, his sacrifice on the cross would have been meaningless because like, well, he's not worth anything anyway, so what does it matter, right? It's not that. This couldn't be true also, For someone who was God, the maker of heaven and earth, who sung existence into being, who spoke the atoms and the molecules and the neutrons and the protons all together to form. That's not something or someone who is worthless. So then what does humility mean? Essentially, humility is a matter of how we view our rights. And how we view our position compared to others. See, Jesus laid down his divinity. Jesus laid down his Godness to become flesh, to bleed, to need drink and food, to need sleep, to be fatigued, to cry. All of our human experience, Jesus experienced himself. Humility is not a matter first of clinging to that which is ours by right. In Jesus' case, honor, glory, all of that belongs to the Father. If you're seeking honor, if you're seeking glory, if you're seeking, hey, look at me, if you are looking to be lifted up among men you need to recognize that you are positioning yourself in direct conflict with God. Because God is the only one who deserves worship. God is the only one who deserves glory. God is the only one who deserves honor. God is the only one who is worthy of our adoration. So if you're adoring any man, I don't care who it is. I don't even care how good they are. If you are giving your worship to any person, anything over God, it is sin, it is wrong, and you need to check your heart. because That belongs to God alone. He alone is worthy of praise. He alone is worthy of honor. He alone is worthy of glory. Second... Humility is a matter of using ourselves and our sphere of influence to elevate others, to lift them up, to bless them, encourage them, save and honor them. Humility doesn't operate on this fixed scale of worth, but rather a flexible one. Using resources to bless and move others up whatever scale they find themselves on. I was asking myself this, who do you see? Who do I see? Who do I see that needs elevated? Who do I see that needs lifted up? Are they weak? Are they in a position of weakness in your family or in your society or in your world, in your sphere? The strong who operate in humility use their resources to strengthen them, to lift them up. Are they poor? The wealthy help to raise them up out of their poverty. That's what humility looks like. At the cross, we see the God who did not cling to eternal life as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He made his incarnated, earthly life a means for sharing his blessings with us. A costly, sacrificial way of sharing that took the shape and the form of a crucifixion. Jesus did that on the cross. It's the ultimate act of humility. It says, no greater gift can a man give than to give up his life for his brother. And that's what Jesus did, the ultimate gift. The humility of Jesus is what saved us from our brokenness. He used his holiness to lift us up by making us holy, just as he is. And not just holy, Family. Jesus says that we are co-heirs through him. That we are sons and daughters of God through Jesus. It's beautiful, you guys. But it couldn't have happened without the humility of Jesus. Thomas Merton says this. Our Christian destiny is in fact a great one. But we cannot achieve greatness unless we lose all interest in being great. Kind of a paradox, right? For our own idea of greatness is illusionary. And if we pay too much attention to it, we will be lured out of the peace and stability of the being that God gave us. And seek to live in myth that we've created for ourselves. Have you ever heard the phrase, the so-and-so buys their own press? (laughs) Like they start believing what they say (laughs) about themselves or other people are saying about themselves. So we live in this like created reality of who we are rather than who God says we are. But when we're truly ourselves, we lose most of the futile self-consciousness that keeps us constantly comparing ourselves with others in order to see how big we are that has to die in a follower of Christ that has to be killed that needs to go on the cross and be crucified with Christ this need to be big this need to have glory for ourselves, this constant need for attention, are comparing, well, you know what? I might not be great at this, but at least I'm not that guy. Like, I might have my problems, but at least I'm not so-and-so. I mean, Jesus even talked about this, right? When he was talking about the Pharisees and praying out loud and, you know, The Pharisees, when they would pray, they used to say this prayer, Oh Lord, thank you for not making me a woman. Like that was literally one of their prayers. And Jesus talked about like how broken that is. Like how when we compare ourselves to others, can you imagine Jesus who was God? He had in himself all of the power. He could have, like, wiped out all of Rome with a thought. But he had the humility to allow himself to be bruised, to be beaten, to be stabbed, to be struck, to be crucified for our sake. To be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How beautiful is that? If If we're to be Christians if we're to be followers of Jesus, we have to get inside of ourselves his example and learn to humble ourselves before God and before others. And stop caring so much about our rights or what I deserve. The reality is, like if you wanna talk about what you deserve, the reality is all of us deserve hell. Because we've all screwed up. (laughs) Some of us, multiple times a day. (laughs) Like, I don't go a day without deserving to, like, be punished. I don't. I know what goes on in here, and it's not always pretty. Thank God we're not all telepaths or share a hive mind, because it would be an ugly thing. For those of you who are friends of Dusty. Like, Like, I'm just not good. Like, in my own goodness, I am not good enough to escape hell. I am not good enough to escape my brokenness. And it's not that, like, God's, like, sending me anywhere. I'm choosing it. (laughs) Like, God doesn't have to, like, send me anywhere. Like, I'm choosing to be distanced from God. I'm choosing to be separated from God. I'm choosing to ignore God and walk my own path. Like, that's Dusty's choice. That's not God choosing for me. God's not making me go or do anything. Dusty's making choices. I I remember when Cormac was little, uh, we had these two little like pirate figurines. You remember this, Chris? (laughs) Sorry, I was talking a little aside with my wife. Uh, We had these two little um, pirate figurines and Cormac broke them. And and he was like, how old was he? Like six or seven? He was really young, like six or seven years old. And like he broke them. And so he hid them, and he thought it was a really good hiding place. Like, he thought, okay, I'm safe. You know, six or seven-year-old, you know, he's like, okay, they'll never find it here behind the thing where it was sitting, you know. <laughs> and, and so Chris found them, and she's like, what, what's this? What happened? And she asked me, and I was like, I don't know what happened. You know, the little pirate figures were broken. And she asked Cormac, and Cormac at first was like, I don't know. What happened? Maybe they fell. And so we're like, well, yeah, buddy, but how'd they fall? <laughs> like, well, I don't know. They just must have fallen and they broke. Well, yeah, but what? Well, maybe the kitty did it. <laughs> not impossible, <laughs> right? I mean, not impossible. Like, I don't think so, buddy, because the, the kitty wouldn't have hidden them after, after the kitty broke them. <laughs> it's like, okay, I broke it. okay. You're not in trouble. Next time, let us know what happened. It's okay. If it's an accident, we're not going to be angry. Let's work it out. Let's let's restore this relationship that was damaged a little bit because you made a bad choice and you, and you broke these and then you tried to hide it from us. Remember the story of Adam and Eve in the garden? Where like they ate from the tree of good and evil and they like tried to hide from God. There wasn't probably a theology for omnipresence at that point that they had established. Um, So they didn't realize that God's everywhere. Um, So they were hiding from God, right? (laughs) And God finally finds them and he's like, what happened? And then Jesus. The lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Right? That's God's goodness. He humbled himself for our sake. Just like I started out with what I felt like God was telling me this morning. God is a good, good father. He loves you. He cares for you. He forgives you when you choose not to follow him.